Welcome to Mint, the podcast exploring the Web3 creator economy. I'm your host, Adam Levy, and every Tuesday and Thursday, I'll be showing you what's happening at the corner where crypto meets creators by interviewing Web3's top creative entrepreneurs, collectors, and founders. This episode is brought to you by the composable and decentralized social graph Lens Protocol, who's ready for you to build on so that you can focus on creating a great experience, not scaling your users. Guys, I've talked about this on the podcast before. We as creators need to break through a new paradigm of social networking apps that we control rather than them controlling us. Lens Protocol isn't a social media app. It's designed to let Web3 social apps bloom. Own your content, own your social graph, own your data. Lens Protocol is the last social media handle you'll ever have to create. This episode welcomes the co-founder and CEO of N.XYZ, Sridhar Ramaswamy. The ex-Googler previously led the largest search engine's $115 billion advertising division and now has his eye on a new focus surrounding blockchain data. With their debut launch this week, followed by an impressive Series A led by Paradigm, we explore how he's building Web3's indexer of choice and how his time at Google led to where he's at today. I hope you guys enjoy our discussion. Sridhar, welcome to Mint. Thank you for being on the podcast. Part of season (laughs) six. How are you doing, man? I'm super excited to be here. I know we started with some technical glitches, but I'm sure everything will go just fine. Everything will go just fine and even better, I'm sure. I'm super stoked to have you on. It's actually a privilege to be talking with you, a man of your level of seniority, doing what you've done at Google, plus more now on Web3. I'm super excited to dive in. I think a good place to start, Shudar, is who are you? For those who don't know you, okay? How do you typically introduce yourself to someone? And I'd also love to kind of like tag along your entry into Web3 with that too. That's great. Well, I uh, start by saying I'm, I'm an immigrant, came to get a graduate degree at Brown University on the East Coast. Uh, kind of tried, uh, tried my hand at being an academic, worked at Bell Labs, the famed place where the transistor was invented for a few years, uh, before deciding to come out to the Valley to work on software. And it was my true passion. Uh, super early at Google, uh, none of us quite realized the juggernaut that the company was going to become. Started as an engineer, uh, but sort of grew as the company grew. Uh, I went from being like, uh, you know, a team of one myself to leading a team of over 10,000 people and a business of over $100 billion. Uh, Amazing opportunity there, Uh, but left about four years ago to pursue a passion of mine. That's Neva. Um, It's a search engine with a very different goal. Uh, It's to always be user uh, focused and to take search back to its roots. Um, and really, Web3 came as a result of uh, uh, exploring the Neva mission of sort of just making the world's information available to everybody. Started looking at Web3 and what was out there, got super excited. And that was the beginning of another fun chapter in the overall journey. So what employee number were you at Google? I think I was like 300 something. Uh, it was a pretty big company even by the time I got there. Sure. I was not like 10 or 20 or something. Do you, do you remember your initial motives and reasoning for joining that company such so quote unquote early on? Um, it was a very successful company already. I think the year okay. I joined Google was going to make $1.6 billion of revenue. It was like, uh, in some sense, the best kept secret in the Valley. Here was this quiet little company working on a boring little problem search and, uh, my God, they were printing money. So I had some friends who had moved. 
and they said it was an amazing place uh, uh, to work. Uh, and I had actually tried my hand at managing a team at uh, my previous startup as a company called Epiphany. And so I decided that I really just wanted to be an engineer to learn. Uh, Google was doing some incredible things. Distributed computing, as we know it today, really has its origins at Google. They were uh, sort of really good at taking low-cost machines and creating something very reliable. So it was very exciting for an engineer um, to just go in there and learn. Uh, and there was this air of success in the company already. Did you, did you have to have a startup sort of mentality entering at 300 people? And I only ask that because you've been there for, you were there for a very long time. And I feel like you could get distracted very easily to work on other stuff, right? Based off the experience that you built up. I'm curious to hear that side. Yeah, different people handle these things differently. There are some people at Google that switched from team to team that were like, oh, now I work on ads, now I work on machine okay. learning, now I work on search. Um, for whatever reason, you know, I stayed on um, with the same teams for a very long time. I kept finding ways to challenge myself. There were still like new things to learn. I started in the infrastructure team and then I learned more about advertiser tools and then I learned about quality and machine learning, um, then about what it was to run and grow uh, a very large business dealing with customers. Uh, I can look back at every year and say like, yeah, I learned something new, learned payments, learned shopping. So it's just this incredible opportunity um, because Google as a company has had so much impact on so many aspects of our lives. What's it like managing over 10,000 people and uh, being in charge for sort of being responsible for managing over a hundred billion dollars of revenue? And I'm sure you get this question all the time. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I, I'm super curious. <laughs> well, I mean, first of all, the thing that you learn very quickly as a leader, if you truly want to be successful at it, um, is a service mentality. You realize that, you know, you're there to serve. You're there to make the team better. By the time your team is even like 100 people, uh, most smart leaders figure out that they personally cannot do all that much, not compared mm -hmm. to 100 people. And so you, you very much have to learn what it is uh, to bring out the best in other people. Uh, you learn about motivation. Um, you learn about you know, how to convey a sense of purpose to your team. Mm -hmm. um, you learn how to make each person feel in your team, feel that their work is worthwhile. So in many, many ways, being a leader of a large team is a humbling learning experience. Um, uh, but you also get the privilege of betting on lots and lots of people. Um, I became what I became at Google because people like uh, Eric Schmidt, people like Bill Campbell or Larry Page, they saw things in me that I never could have seen. Um, and I'm always grateful to people like that for giving me amazing opportunities. So I've always taken it as kind of my job also uh, to take bets on people. Uh, and uh, so you spend a lot of time, you know, coaching people. You uh, spend a lot of time helping people truly excel. You problem solve, but you're, you know, you're a coach, you are betting on, mm. uh, on people. And every big leader, you know, very, very quickly realizes that they are there to serve other people. They are there to motivate other people. Um, it's a lot of fun uh, and you, you learn a lot. And I'm sure I could spend hours upon hours asking you about Google, but I want to sort of transition now into 
Neva, at least the the Web two Neva. Okay. Yep. Um, another it's 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 an ad free sort of search engine, right? And that's right. It's be, it's become your passion. That's what you coined it as. Yep. It's my search is my passion. So yep. walk to talk me through the transition of going from Google to then starting Neva, and what did you sort of set to aim to do at the get go? Yeah, towards the uh, end of my stay at Google, I realized that, uh, you know, any company that aspired to keep on growing that was ads based essentially would see no limit to how many ads it showed within within its products. There are no natural limits, especially for a company like Google that honestly has no competitors. Um, and uh, so I saw a world in which the search experience was going to get worse and worse. Uh, funny story, true story. Um, we were playing around looking at Google's UI on the phone versus that of Neva's. Um, and, you know, a query that we tried was what to do in a car accident. Uh, if you try it on Google today, you will get four ads for lawyers. Um, and uh, on Neva, it'll kind of be like, uh, first of all, stop your car, get to the side <laughs> of the road, make sure that you don't put yourself in danger. Um, if like, if you're involved with other car and if they need help, make sure that you call 911. Um, we showed this to people and there were some people that just went like ballistic. They were like, I'm just in like a car accident. You guys are showing me liar ads, like what the hell? Um, so, you know, in many ways, that's sort of, uh, uh, is a sad outcome, uh, but it also points to the opportunity um, which is you want, search is a very deeply personal function. You have a headache, you're going to search. You're bothered about something, you're going to search. You want to buy right. something, you're going to search. You don't remember the lyrics to a song, you're going to search. Um, and so we wanted to take search back to its root, create just a worry-free, truly useful product. Um, and that's what we are in the process of doing. It didn't come immediately after Google. I you know, tried my hand at investing for a little bit with my friends at Greylock. Um, that was fun, but I like creating things. Um, and the early parts of conceiving of an idea and seeing like, does it work out? Is there like a cool product here to be created? That's always the most exciting part. Um, and so Neva came a little bit after uh, I, I left Google. And I was, I'm also very fortunate to have my co-founder and partner Vivek um, in, this, uh, in this journey. And yeah, this uh, has been our passion for the past you know, three and a half, four years. And now there's a Web3 native Neva, right? Um, that's right. That's right. Talk, and that's why that's why we're here today. That's why I added you to the season li seasonal lineup for season yep. six, because season six is all about on-chain data. And yep. now you guys are sort of focusing your attention on what's happening in Web3. Talk to me about yep. sort of what were some of your findings that we were like, wow, we need to enter Web3. We need to maybe shift the product focus from Web2 search to Web3 search. And how did Web3 Neva sort of come about? Uh, well, so Web3 Neva actually uh, is an independent company. Neva is, is a big shareholder in that company, but it's an independent company. Uh, the journey started with a simple question of what should Web3 mean for a search engine? Um, you know, as a startup, we know that our strength is in going and exploring areas that others will be hesitant uh, to explore. Uh, so, for example, if you look for a product on Neva, we're going we're gonna to stack the page full of reviews because we're like, ah, we're going to educate Adam about the product. And if he wants to buy the product, sure, we'll show it to him. But we are not in a rush as soon as you type a product name to get you to go buy that product. There is this element of education that is always uh, an important part of, uh, of, of search. So we started looking at this question for how do we make it easy 
to find information from Web3. Now, what exactly is Web3? Um, of course, there's the on-chain data. Um, and we started looking at that. We also realized um, that there was a lot of Web3 relevant information on Twitter, on Discord, on some websites, but this information was everywhere. Uh, so we initially started to uh, build out uh, an NFT search engine because we thought, ah, oh, that's very visual. Um, it is clearly you know, pretty popular. Um, let's look at what it would take for us to index on-chain data. And then we realized that at least when it came to NFTs, a lot of the information, whether it's metadata or media, were actually off-chain. Sometimes they're on IPFS, but quite a few people also put them up on regular Web2 sites. Not something I would recommend, but people do that anyway. So we wrote a little crawler. Um, and then we used the power of the search stack that we had built for uh, to run Neva's web search, which runs at petabyte scale, in order to create this NFT search engine, uh, which we called Neva.xyz. We kept it separate from Neva because we mm -hmm. wanted to iterate very, very quickly. Um, you know, there have been days in which I personally have pushed out like a dozen releases on a single day. And that's the benefit of being a small team. There's just five people in me, by the way. Um, and we had like, as a shoestring team, we built this great search experience. And then we started showing it to friends to get, to get feedback. Um, you know, I know a number of friends who uh, had moved in Web3 or who are like Web3 OGs. Um, and while they loved the idea of an NFT search engine and thought that a consumer product could be interesting, a number of them also said, hey, getting at Web3 data, creating just applications, knowing what's going on uh, in, um, you know, in the blockchain, whether it's Ethereum or Polygon or Solana, that part was really hard. That's when we decided to change the focus of the effort from creating like an end user search product, which is, which is what Nivara.xyz um, is, to providing a set of developer APIs. Um, we also decided that we wanted to have focus, we wanted to have uh, great investors, uh, you know, for this new effort, you know, crypto OGs. Um, and uh, so we spun it off as a separate company. Um, we are lucky to have the backing of folks like, uh, uh, like Paradigm, like Greylock and Sequoia that invested in Neva, but also people like Coinbase Ventures um, and a whole bunch of uh, other folks that were very excited by the idea of creating amazing technology to provide much better data to developers. We had an early beta testing. We'll have more to say about this in, uh, in, in a few weeks. But if you want to build um, any Web3 application, whether it's, uh, it's a wallet um, or an NFT minting site or a gallery or a marketplace, or you just want to do analysis on this data uh, to figure out like, hey, can you do a time series prediction mm -hmm. on NFT or DeFi prices? Um, we'd love to talk to you. Um, that's really the focus of the company, lightning fast access to Web3 data. Such a difficult problem to solve. Very difficult problem to solve, especially when there's no real standardization around uh, uh, on-chain data. I'm curious how you attempted to sort of approach that problem, especially around the metadata. When you're trying to create aggregation sites, right? I know it's a big problem in the music NFT side of things where you try to create like a playlisting site, right? But the music yep. metadata is all over the place. How have yep. you guys yep. sort of approached that problem? Uh, in a few different ways. Um, at one level, we looked at what was common to all the different categories of uh, NFTs. 
So we basically constructed this, uh, this, this schema for NFTs. We constructed a similar schema for ERC20 tokens. We're in the process of constructing, uh, essentially doing a whole bunch of data engineering, data diagnostics to figure out how can we represent different DeFi products, whether they are like swap liquidity pools or loans. Um, and so that work can be time consuming, but it is well, uh, well worth it. Um, and then something like search is a very powerful tool on top of it. Um, this new company, which is called NXYZ, by the way, uh, mm-hmm. it's a little bit of an abbreviation of Nibar.xyz. Right. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, it's not just a search API. It's also, uh, it, it's an API to get at the contents of what is on chain. So if you want to know what's in a wallet, but you want it to be real time as of a few seconds ago, you can use our uh, uh, our APIs. Um, so there is an element of standardization that we did for common um, asset classes, um, but even for custom use cases, um, whether it's the nouns project, for example, logging their own metadata or other people like rabbit hole, we've had a lot of conversations close to a hundred um, over the past couple of months, just trying to figure out how do people want to index this data? What are the best tools that we can provide to A, make it easy, B, make it flexible, but much more importantly, make it highly, highly performant at real time. Hmm. What are some of the more uh, less obvious applications you imagine being built using the power of of, uh, of Neva's APIs, for example? Um. We've experimented with fun little projects like, hey, can we write a predictor for bot wallets? As you know, mm. detecting civil wallets is uh, is a game that lots of people play. And Smart. as things like airdrops become more and more important um, as a marketing tool, you want to make sure that you airdrop to real people, not right. uh, you know, not wallets controlled by a program. So that was like a fun little project that That's an intern who worked with us over the summer um, did. Uh, I can think of other things. Uh, we just played around with it. Um, can you establish a trust score for a wallet? Uh, is this a real person? Are they holding real assets? Um, or is it one of these like pump and dump wallets? Um, what can you say about things like that? Um, other unobvious applications, um, can you trace money movement across chains in real time? As you know, there are companies like uh, like ZeroX, like Layer Zero or Nomad that are right. creating protocols for moving money cross chain. Can you track that in, uh, in, in real time? So these are all like, you know, I would say these are not the V1 applications that we are creating, um, but these are the kinds of things that might be pretty fun um, to create on top of the data and infrastructure that we are creating. Sure. I'd argue that on-chain data is just another form of data that somebody may want to search, right? And kind of get answers for. And I'm curious from your point of view, how does Web3 search differ and compare to Web2 search? And maybe you could also take it from like, how does the product experience differ? I think Web3 search is still being defined. Um, Simply because the entities that make up the search are not completely clear yet. Um, The great thing about the web is that this notion of a web page, uh, a page that had some information, um, became common currency. Everybody, like literally think about it, in the world sort of implicitly understands what a web page is. They implicitly understand what a click on a link Mm -hmm. is. There's nothing obvious about it. 
um, that you can go from one page to another. Remember, books had this, but they're more like bibliographies. You had to go to the end of the book, find the name of a book, and then maybe go look up a You're library right. index. It was all painful. The web made all of these things instant. So I think we are still figuring out things like, what are the interesting concepts that you want to search over? So when we think of NFT search, for example, we think in terms of, um, is something a token? Um, is uh, something a wallet? Um, is something a contract, one that mints tokens. But as you can imagine, there are other people, other things like uh, what is a collection or what is a person that corresponds, that's like a creator of mm -hmm. different contracts. It's not quite a wallet. Um, and so I think there's this first question of how do you like, you know, how do you figure out what is it that you are looking for? Um, and then you begin to define like the relationships between these entities on, uh, you know, Nivarad XYZ, you can just throw in some words and you can search and you can click on a token and go from there to the wallet that has the, has the token, or you can go from there to the contract that has the token. And then you can do like attribute filters on the tokens that the contract issues. It just makes navigation possible. I think over the next few years, as these, these concepts will become more and more solidified, um, and then people will truly be able to say, well, I am looking for a DAO that has these people in it, and why don't you tell me? Um, I think things will get clearer as these things grow in, uh, in, in popularity. Right now, we are still trying to define what exactly we are finding. And this is a ton of information on Twitter, on Discord. Clearly, mm -hmm. anything that claims to do Web3 search needs to bring all of these together as well. So it's a fun problem. It's a big and it's sort of a loosey-goosey problem right now. Right. What's up, guys? Sorry for the quick pause, but I wanted to tell you about Bello, a new blockchain analytics tool I built that helps Web3 native creators and communities learn more about their collectors and their on-chain behavior. Through a simple search, Bellows Intelligence can help you figure out a price for your NFT drop, show you what other communities your collectors are a part of, and empower you with insights to make confident decisions on how to grow your community. I built Bello with you in mind. So as a creator myself, Bellows helped me make money by finding sponsors for the podcast and allowed me to curate better content for you guys. And now it's ready to help other creators too. If you're a Web3 native creator, NFT project founder, or community manager, join the waitlist to try Bello's beta product today by signing up at bello.lol forward slash join. That's B-E-L-L-O dot L-O-L forward slash join. All right, back to the episode. I'm also trying to like, I'm, I'm thinking out loud here. I'm also trying to understand like, does the user understand what even searching on the blockchain means? Like what would they even be searching for? kind of thing right now it feels like we're just searching OpenSea or etherscan for the most part right or maybe we're using some analytic platforms to get some st statistics and interesting insights right um but i i think like if you think about the, like the web 2 user and how they use a product like google or neva right i feel like the they they go they would obviously go and use that product with a different intent as if they were to use a web 3 type of search product and i don't know if that user sort of exists in web 3 just yet to kind of uh, to kind of get to that level, you know, you know where you know where my head's at. Am I am I am I picking oh, up what you're putting down? One hundred percent, one hundred percent. This completely makes sense, and many ways, what you are describing um, mirrors the development of things like the Yahoo directory. Um, mm. Back when the web was very very early, Yahoo literally had a bunch of people 
um, that uh, constructed this uh, catalog, this directory that basically said, if you want to look for shops, look here. If you want to look for something else, uh, mm. universities, look over here. And over time, what happened is there were so many stores, so many universities, so many other sort of like sites that it became impossible for anybody to categorize it. The reason you go to OpenSea right now um, to look for NFTs is because it is the definitive marketplace for NFTs. If you imagine a world where there are like a hundred marketplaces, all of a sudden an aggregation play becomes more interesting. If there are 20 blockchains, so this idea of like looking at Etherscan, which is over Ethereum data, suddenly mm -hmm. sounds a little bit, little bit silly. Um, this right. is part of what we do, by the way. If you search on uh, on Nivarad XYZ, we will return data back to you, uh, whether it's on Ethereum or Polygon or Optimism or Arbitrum. We are like you know continuously adding more chains, and so search is fundamentally an aggregation play. It makes sense only when there are so many things that you and I simply cannot keep track, or we don't want to bother to keep track of all the different places to go to. Yeah. Another uh, thing that I've been thinking about in preparation for this interview is like trying to understand what does on-chain SEO look like, right? Search engine optimization. As a marketer myself, right, I've done a ton of gigs where I try to optimize blogs or pages on Google to kind of come on the first first search result, right? Um, I'm curious what that looks like uh, in the future. I, I wonder if you have any takes on that. People are doing this today. Okay. When remember when you when you create a hot new collection, you get your friends to like go buy the NFTs from that collection, um, and so it is. Uh, uh, or uh, on Twitter, if you have a handle, uh, yeah, you try to build up a following. Uh, in many ways, uh, uh, you know the the founding principle of PageRank, by the way, is like this funny definition that says. A page is a popular page or a good page if mm -hmm. other popular pages say so. It's a little bit like high school uh, <laughs> uh, page rank. It's just like you're cool if like the cool people like you know right. let you in. And so to a certain extent, Twitter is also like that. You're cool if a lot of cool people follow you on 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 Twitter. So there are similar things that will happen. I think those things are universal in uh, you know in in nature. Mm -hmm. A collection is cool. Uh, I don't know if like Zoink uh, owns one of your tokens. And so I think stuff like that will Interesting, contribute. interesting, interesting. Okay, interesting. All right, let's transition into uh, advertising where Web3 meets yep. advertising, okay? That is obviously a big hat you wore at Google. It's something that you may know a little bit about, I'd argue. Um, what <laughs> does the future of advertising look and feel like in Web3? I think that is one part of, uh, you know, Web3, a lot of early players, uh, they are actively against advertising that are, you know, focused on things like more value for uh, the early users. So the ethos of Web3, the ethos of DAOs around like community ownership, community management, um, you know, puts on a very, or user as community or community as owners, um, I think it's a different set of, uh, of of principles. I think DAOs are very powerful. They you know harken back to collectives that have existed like in humanity for a very very long time. So I think uh, loosely coupled organizations working together um, has a lot of uh, has a lot of promise. Um, but on the other hand, as I said, um, 
you know, things like what has value or what is popular is inherently a social uh, phenomenon. And so whenever that happens, there is going to be advertising. You see this today. There are, I'm sure you get a lot of token drops uh, and that's a form of advertising. People are like reaching out and saying, hey, you should claim this token. Right. Uh, there might be something cool that is out there. I think there is also an opportunity um, for social networks uh, where basically you decide on uh, uh, membership in a particular group, depending on whether you own a particular uh, token or not. Uh, I see recommendation engines coming as NFTs become more popular. If you own these sets of NFTs, maybe you should consider owning something else. And there is always like whenever there are recommendations that are, there's going to be a promotional element to these recommendations. Um, I think it's early to call, um, but I think things like better airdrop list, which you can think of as marketing early mm -hmm. advertising, um, definitely have a have a role to play. But the whole ecosystem is super um, nascent. And then if you layer on things like metaverse, truly immersive experiences that have an element of uh, of Web3, of blockchain, of like, uh, you know, decentralized state also associated with them, I think that adds an additional twist into how advertising will work. Um, overall, I would say um, the world of uh, uh, Web3 metaverse advertising is very, very young. Um, and, mm -hmm. but it will, it, it will develop. Advertising arises naturally whenever there's commercial interest and there is a reason to stand out. I don't expect Web3 or the metaverse to be wildly different. Yeah. I think there's a, a or at least it feels like there's a notion uh, amongst uh, many users that they don't want advertising. Like they don't, they, they, they don't want that same experience. Like in a lot of users feel like that if we introduce, for example, the most common or memorable form of advertising is like display advertising, right? Yeah. It's like, it's like, if we, if we go back to that world, are we just moving backwards? Like, what are we doing? Yep. Right. Um, and I wonder, I wonder at what point we're actually going to see like more web three native advertising. Okay. Airdrops are a great example. What other forms of advertising sort of live and exist or have yet to live and exist in web three. We have yet to find out. I wonder if you have any, any more additional thoughts just around that. Uh, I think, as I said, the culture very much is that of like, hey, let's leave the worst of the Web2 world behind. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah. <laughs> this this sort of utopian promise of advertising will deliver great content to all of us and it'll all be free. Everybody has realized by now that there is no there's no free lunch. Um, and uh, these these ads can get more and more intrusive in many ways, a company like Neva is like the opposite of the Web2 model where we right. are militantly pro-user, anti-ads, anti-tracking. Um, so I think um, there is definitely that ethos. Um, and the thing is, uh, you know, uh, blockchains also offer the potential for much lower transaction costs. Mark Andreessen calls the lack of payments on Web2, Web2's original sin, so a lot of like low cost services could not really be created. Advertising became the way in which to monetize like lots of eyeballs into something tangible. Um, I do hope that, um, you know, things uh, like gas fees come down low enough. So true innovations that all of us desperately need like microtransactions, um, like the ability to aggregate value 
um, in terms of what is being delivered to you and me. I hope things like that truly come to pass because a current world in which uh, the minimum cost of moving any money um, like in the real world is like 35 cents plus 3%, which is ridiculous. You're, you're mm. just moving bits from one computer to another. Mm. And the sad part about Ethereum right now is like, oh, wait, like what? 20 bucks, 50 bucks <laughs> um, to move like one little bit of information. Right. That's a terrible place to be. But, you know, I think there are chains like Polygon where this is cheaper, but really we need this kind of innovation. We need innovation in which like value can be transferred with much less friction. Sure. I want to I wanna talk to you about also like new and emerging technology. Um, how do you imagine like new tech, like that of which Vitalik recently proposed? He, he proposed um, a new token standard for stealth addresses for anonymous NFT ownership. Um, and also like the introduction of like zero knowledge proofs, right? How do those play an effect uh, on sort of the vision of what you guys are after, let alone the entire level of transparency, openness of, of what crypto is today? Um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm still learning. Uh, sure. I've uh, heard a bunch of amazing podcasts about zero knowledge proofs. Obviously, uh, you know, companies like uh, uh, Starkware, projects like Starkware or ZK Sync uh, are super, super popular or the rage. Um, I think there is always a balance in all societies uh, mm -hmm. between like anonymity uh, and sort of the openness or the visibility um, that is needed to prevent bad actors um, and, uh, um, you know, subversive uh, uh, elements within. And so I think there's always going to be tension there. Um, I think like we all, just like we all realize that a truly advertising driven, like internet is a pretty ugly place uh, to be. I think we also realize, uh, you know, thanks to the various hectorings that we've all had on Twitter, um, that a place in which someone can be absolutely anonymous also removes the incentive for any of us to be like civil to um, each other. So I think there's always going to be this balance um, mm -hmm. between how much anonymity is provided by a platform and uh, whether that leads to like good, uh, you know, good behavior. Uh, I think a certain amount of this kind of tension is, um, is natural. And it's also very clear that the current internet, the current online world has gone to like the other extreme of having all of our information just get like, you know, uh, bucketed and bottled up and sold and resold. It's, it's a pretty nasty place to be. So innovation is desperately sure. needed. Sure. I want to talk to you also about uh, other products that can kind of spin up out of what you guys are building at Neva. So right now the, the vision is sort of provide really extensive, reliable, APIs yep. for, for developers, right? Uh, but I feel like by setting that level of foundation, you also open yourself up to a world of new opportunities, right? So that's you right. may be focusing on the API section because that's what's hot right now, right? And that's what people yep. need. Where do you yep. think we're going next? What What's like sort of like the next trend beyond here? Oh, there's so much fun stuff to do. As I said, there are things like uh, wallet trust scores or sure. better ways um, to figure out, uh, figure out airdrops. Uh, I can think of everything from, uh, you know, uh, hedge funds that use uh, real-time data to sophisticated modeling um, of uh, ERC-20-like token prices or NFT prices, mm. um, uh, you know, things like figuring out uh, if fractional ownership really becomes a thing. 
I think that'll be uh, uh, that'll be interesting. And as more assets get digitized and get stored, uh, you know, on the blockchain, uh, I think uh, that's going to be another interesting area in which uh, people will want to know more stats. Um, even things like DAO voting records, uh, the tooling for that is very mm. poor. Um, and so being able to, you know, just have information like how many people uh, that belong to DAO actually voted? What's the voting record? Um, you know, how much are uh, uh, different projects raising? Um, it's a fun platform in which to build stuff. Um, we're also working with some early projects on things like uh, co-ownership so that people can make, uh, you know, you can be part of like a social club or a network um, and you can create uh, new groups similar to WhatsApp groups um, based on on-chain behavior. Uh, and, uh, you know, you can get recommendations for groups that you can be part of. Um, so I think mm. there's a lot of fun applications that can be uh, that can be created on top of this data, not to mention things like, ooh, can we do real-time aggregations for different kinds of contracts? Like, you know, how are loan protocols doing? How is mm -hmm. something else doing? Um, I feel really excited because it's, it's just really very early and there is so much to be built uh, right. and so many fun product ideas to support. I love seeing you say that and the smile that appears on your face as you yeah. as those words come out of your mouth. Another thing, another thing I want to talk about, which is a is a core a core theme of season six, is uh, on chain data. Okay, we we covered a lot about that, but more specifically, how it pertains to the creator economy. A lot of my audience, yep. uh, the people who listen, are creators. They are the musicians, the artists, the project founders, the community managers, uh, even collectors and 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 Web three founders yep. in general as a whole. Um, I want to talk to you more about like the data analysis side of things, okay? Because there's a there's a big trend kind of shifting towards how creators can either better use data, how communities use data today, whether it be through the financialization of the data, whether through understanding who your community is and kind of creating better experiences. How do you see that world sort of emerging, especially with what you guys have going on at your at your company? Yeah, I mean, that's a whole other category of fun, you know, fun applications. Right. So, for example, one product that I think uh, needs to be created um, is, uh, let's say that, uh, you know, you want to create a new NFT collection. And you're like, I think people that like this collection are going to be people that like own this this particular token or maybe have done this kind of behavior um, IG, I wonder if there is a way to reach them effectively. Um, or maybe you start with like a set of people that you think would be excited about what you're doing. Um, and then you want a tool that lets you expand out. By the way, for this is deja vu all over again for people that have worked in ads because this is a, a product called Similar Audiences where you um, start with a set of people and you try to expand out to other people that are like that. Um, I would say one of the things that is often disappointing, people don't necessarily know this, um, about even pretty large creator ecosystems like YouTube, mm -hmm. um, is that the number of creators that can make a living off of those platforms is shockingly small. Most people will be shocked to know um, that the number of people that say make more than 50, 60K on YouTube is like tens of thousands. It's not millions. Mm. You know, there are like 
you know, five, at least 5 million software engineers um, in the United States. If you include the larger IT right. ecosystem, that's 20 million people, all making, let's face it, a pretty decent living. Um, and to me, part of what platforms like, you know, like Instagram, like YouTube, um, or even like, you know, uh, uh, Twitter or TikTok have not really done is create like mass employment opportunities. That's because these platforms are so powerful um, that they don't really share that much of their wealth with the people that are creating it. The platforms reap all the benefit, especially ad-supported platforms. There is so much concentration of power that they reap all the benefits of scale, not really the creators. It becomes very head-heavy. I love the NBA, but let's face it, it's not going to employ like a million players. Right. It's very, very head heavy. I'm like, yes, all of us want to be Steph Curry, but there's like one <laughs> Steph Curry. Um, and so to me, what's exciting about Web3 and the creator economy is you get to set rules. You get to set things like I created this beautiful piece of digital art and whenever it gets sold, there needs to be a way for me to realize value. So this is why things like creator shares that can be burned into the contract. So you get like a steady supply um, and as the items that you're creating grow in value as they are traded, you also benefit from it. To me, those are like the egalitarian aspects of Web3. Um, I think it's it's an open question whether they're going to scale to the level of like, you know, hundreds of thousands of people or millions of people. Um, I have no issue um, with like top heavy economies like the NBA, as I said, um, but we should also be careful about it, you know, things like that not becoming the aspiration for every teenager, not if they cannot support like millions of people operating at that level. And the hope with Web3, and it's not clear that we're going to get to it, we all have to work towards it, is that it supports a broader base of prosperity than the very head heavy ecosystems that pretty much all the existing platforms like YouTube, like Instagram, like TikTok mm -hmm. have created. I think Web3 will enable a larger middle class of creators um, that that's can the actually, aspiration. yeah, that's, that's also what I'm hoping for. If you sort of yep. look at what's happening right now in Web3 in the creator economy, and you measure the number of creators based off how many collections, NFT collections exist, it's about 150,000 yep. collections and communities that sort of exist today in Web3. And yep. of course, not all of them are making the same amount of value as Board Ape Yacht Club, right? But yeah. as long as you have that sort of like hustle, great and entrepreneurial type of energy, or at least an ounce of that, you can find a way to not only use Web3 as a tool to tokenize your art, but you can find a way to monetize it as well. I think what's also super interesting is that as a creator in Web3, you get to tap into all this interesting data to become a smarter and a more intelligent and a wiser creator. Data that you otherwise maybe not would have had in Web2, right? From being a YouTube creator a Google creator, That's et right. cetera. That's right. Do you, do, you, do you have any takes on that? Any, any thoughts around that as well? Uh, I, I actually, I completely agree with what you're saying. I think part of what the big platforms and the music labels before that have gotten away with is the incredibly opaque pricing uh, and the opaque contracts uh, that have hidden sort of a lot of things. Uh, and the nice thing about Web3 is all of this data is in the open. Uh, and people can see what is creating uh, value. Uh, they can get their fair share. And they can also like, there is more, uh, you know, chances for experimentation. 
if you did a project in a certain way, a collection in a certain way, and it, you saw that it had some outcome um, and you want to do better the next time, you have the chance to do that. And part of what like NXYZ wants to enable is like for all of this data to be easily accessible to people so that they can reach better decisions. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm a big fan. I really, I really am excited to see one of the product go live beyond just the the beta test that you're doing right now. Yep. Um, and kind of see where where this vehicle ends up going. Um, I'm I'm curious from your point of view, what questions am I not asking? Do you think I should be asking to be a better informed creator uh, in the space and how to use data to sort of build an audience, build a community, etc. Um, I think we've gone through many of the questions, but I think, uh, you know, having a sense for what creates value. Um, mm. And uh, once something is out there, how quickly are you getting that information back? Um, you know, are you able to come up with hypotheses that you can then, um, that you can then test, that you can then check out in, uh, in, in real life? Um, I think the tooling around that is pretty early. Um, but I think the openness of the data will lead to lots of companies like NXYZ to get at this data, to give it to more people. And as I said, I love that phrase that you used earlier, which is uh, hopefully Web3 will lead to a much bigger middle class of creators of all kinds. Mm, yeah, I, I hope so as well. I guess uh, before we, we wrap up and I let you go, um, Sridhar, where can I find you? Where can we learn more about what you're building? Um, chill it away. Yeah, so uh, our uh, our little website, which will get bigger soon, is uh, n.xyz, uh, and uh, uh, you're lucky to get like a single letter uh, single letter domain. Uh, I'm, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, and then we are also on Twitter, uh, still angling for the nxyz handle, but right now you have to put uh, <laughs> underscores between all of the letters. It's like underscore n, underscore x, underscore y, <laughs> underscore z, underscore. Uh, just look for us. Also, on, uh, also on, memorable, on by the way. Yeah, also it's memorable. Also memorable, <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, we're going to be making a big announcement, hopefully in less than a month. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm super excited uh, to be in Web three. I know that uh, you know these are uh, tough times overall in the stock market on uh, on on Web three. Uh, but the foundational infrastructure that is there things like decentralized state, things like currency natively built into how these amazing systems operate. Um, I think we are very early. I think there's a lot of value to be created and a lot of work to be done. Uh, you know, I think of this as what the internet was like 20, 25 years ago. No one could have predicted, you know, the internet of 2015 from like right. the Mozilla of 1995. So I feel it's that early. There's a lot of great work, uh, you know, to be done. And the more we build, the better the outcome that uh, we create. And I'm, I personally am super excited to be part of the journey. Amazing. Uh, Sridhar, thank you so much for being on a part of the season. We'll have to do this again soon. But till then, appreciate you and good luck. Thank you, Adam. Um, lovely to chat. What's up, guys? Thank you for listening. If you've gotten this far, then you are a champ and I owe you a free listener pin. Go to adamlevy.io forward slash NFT, fill in your info, and I'll distribute the NFT towards the end of the season. By collecting your pin, you prove your contribution to the season and get exclusive access to content, allow lists, and more. So be sure to collect yours. 
Also, please make sure to rate and subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening. This helps me out so much. And finally, hit me up on Twitter at LevyChain. I want to hear what you're building, the latest crowdfund you're trying to complete, or if you simply want to chat. I love talking about where crypto meets the creator economy, and it's no different if it's coming from you directly. So thanks again for your support. It means the world, and I'll see you on the next episode.